0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Hello, old Tex. I know you narrate Navy SEAL stories, so here's one true story that was told to me by my late father. This happened 10 years ago, and the content of this operation was classified. So deep within the Himalayan mountain range, shrouded in mist and secrecy, there was a hidden facility operated by a notorious Chinese terrorist cell known as the Red Dragon, Whispers of its existence circulated among intelligence agencies worldwide, suggesting the presence of a secret nuclear facility where the Red Dragon sought to craft the ultimate weapon capable of unleashing unprecedented devastation. The United States caught wind of these rumors, and a decision was made to send in a squad of Navy SEAL operatives to infiltrate the mysterious facility and gather intel. Leading the mission were Joe and Matt, two former Olympic runners turned exceptional warriors. Their speed and agility made them an invaluable asset for this covert operation. My father was under their command. So, the night was ink, black as the seal, parachuted from an unmarked military aircraft, descending into the treacherous terrain surrounding the Red Dragon's mountainous hideout. The team landed with practiced precision, their senses sharp in adrenaline pumping, the mission had begun. As they moved silently through the shadows, they encountered fierce resistance from the facility's guards. Joe and Matt, relying on their exceptional physical prowess, swiftly incapacitated the adversaries, allowing the squad to press forward. The terrain was challenging, and the facility was cleverly concealed within the depths of the mountain. Upon reaching the facility, the SEAL were confronted with an unexpected sight. Instead of finding a conventional nuclear facility, they stumbled upon a clandestine cult within the heart of the mountain. The cult worshipped a mythical yeti-like creature, and their plans extended beyond conventional warfare. The Seals discovered that the Red Dragon sought not only to develop a devastating weapon, but also to unleash a global cataclysm with the new virus they created. Maybe it could be COVID. So the cult, fanatically devoted to their cause, put up a fierce resistance. The Seals fought valiantly, battling through the labyrinthine corridors of the mountain facility. As they progressed deeper, the cult's fanaticism became increasingly evident. Strange symbols adorned the walls and chants echoed in the air. Eventually, they managed to neutralize the cult, cleaning out the entire base. But perplexingly, they found no concrete intel regarding the Red Dragon's ultimate weapon. With more questions than answers, they exfiltrated the facility, returning to the U.S., command post with a sense of unease lingering in the air. As the SEALs debriefed their mission, A sense of uncertainty enveloped the room. The cult's beliefs and the mysterious yeti creature left the operatives pondering. Could there be more to the Red Dragon's plans than initially thought? Were they missing a crucial piece of the puzzle? As the seals grappled with the uncertainty surrounding the cult's intentions and the existence of the yeti-like creature, they were left wondering if they had just scratched the surface of a much larger, more ominous plot. The Himalayan mystery still bugs me, and I swear, this is a true story told by my late father. Thank you. Hi. My name is Jay, and I would like to tell you a true tale of what happened to me one September evening in 1990. I held off talking about this for the past three decades. For some unknown reason, I feel compelled to tell my story, I was leaving my girlfriend's house because she had to go to work the next day. We lived just south of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. There was still light out, but the sunset was coming. I decided to walk to my friend's house, which was about ten minutes away, and I thought to save a couple of minutes walking, I would take a shortcut along two sets of railroad tracks. As I was walking along the tracks, I could see from a distance that someone was coming up from the embankment of the tracks and started walking on the railroad tracks toward me. I thought this was odd because I could see that this individual was wearing one of those old bulky green parkas with a hood up over his head. As he was getting closer, I could see his features more clearly. Something was not right. As he walked right by me, his whole upper body turned towards me and what I saw was some type of an alien. It just looked at me as it was walking by. This freaked me out. Two seconds later, I turned around to see where this thing was going. It was gone. Nowhere in sight. At that moment, I looked up and saw a UFO hovering for a good ten seconds, about one thousand feet up. Then the UFO sped off northeast. This incident really shook me up. Nothing else that I'm aware of occurred since that incident. Do these otherworldly beings live among us? What aren't we being told? I live in Michigan, in a country house that my closest neighbor is a few miles down the road. Since we've owned the house for four years, there has always been a feeling that has daunted over us. We've never had very good luck in this house, lost a dog within five minutes of me, letting them out in daylight and a cat, too, in the past two years. Yes, there are predators, but they have been staying away. At first we had coyotes staying close, but they stay down at my neighbor's and don't come close. The past few nights my wife has heard whistling for a dog from 1 to 4 a.m. in random spots in the woods near the house. My dog is also noticed, but he stayed quiet and watched out the window. He's always known there's something, too, and wigs out at certain times. If it helps, we live near Dudgeon Swamp of White Cloud. There's a lore in that place. I'm wondering if it's something from that. Any ideas or helpful things would be great. I was an elementary school student in 1971. I saw the legend of Boggy Creek film and later read Peter Burns' little paperback book on Bigfoot, the North Georgia Mountain. Especially in the Appalachians are rich with legends and strange stories about boogers. Parents and adults would say, don't be out at night because that's when the booger bears come out. Nobody ever explained to you what a booger was or how it looked, so we thought it was only a scary story. In the spring of 1973, a game warden went missing overnight. He was found the next morning walking on a rural road by a passing car. He was exhausted and confused with his clothes torn and and couldn't really remember what happened. It was later said that he claimed to have seen a tall hairy creature with a big head and a face like a bull. The story was a buzz for about 2 weeks and suddenly all talk of it went quiet. I think he either quit or the state relocated him. It was March 1974 when I was 15. I didn't drink or smoke anything. I was seeing a straight arrow football player and not the type to tell stories. About 8.30 p.m. I was riding in a car with three other guys, and the driver was about two years older than us. We were spotlighting deer illegally, but not for the purpose of shooting one, just checking them out. We're driving down the main road. It was barely paved and full of potholes. As we rolled along at about 10 to 15 miles per hour, we spotted a buck and two does up on a chest high red clay bank with bushes and overgrown parsley. The overgrowth partially blocks our view. This is a four-way highway. This was at a four-way crossroads where the very narrow dirt or gravel road left off into a completely deserted forest with no houses. On the left was another dirt or gravel road with an old church on the corner. Further down this road were a couple of farms. A river runs down one side that is fed by the Amicalola Falls, which is located at the head of the Appalachian Trail. Ironically, there's an area of the river known as the Devil's Elbow, where moonshiners, pot growers, and hunters were alleged to have gone missing. This is the same area where the game warden went missing. I was in the passenger rear seat and couldn't really see the deer. We stopped, and the guy in front of me got out with a spotlight and shined the deer. It was apparent they had been running and were tired because they hadn't run off. After exiting the back seat, I heard a crack or pop 45 degrees to my right in the forest. I thought it may have been a bear because a 500-pounder was killed in our area, but bears are known to be very quiet when walking, so I started saying, Let's go, and the hair started standing up on my arms and neck. I began to feel sick with fear. At about the same time, a hulking figure crossed the road from bank to bank in front of us in three forward, leaning large steps while swinging its arms. It appeared to be approaching the deer, and at that moment they bolted out of there. By that time, I'm frozen with fear, and it seems like time is slowed down. My friend to the left says... What the hell was that? We're both saying, "Let's go, let's go." I had one foot in the car, and then, as I looked up on top of the embankment, I saw the outline of a figure move slowly to get behind a tree, where its face was obscured. My friend with the spotlight starts slowly getting in the car, while the other dude dives in the back seat. At this time, my older and more stubborn friend pulls out a twenty-two caliber pistol and says. Who are you? Talk to me or I'll shoot now. We are screaming. Let's go. My friend in front of me still has the light pointed at it over the door, even though he is now back in the car. At that instant, we hear a bang. Bang. The driver shot the twenty-two caliber up in the air. He immediately throws the pistol down and jumps in the car. We spin out of there sideways. I'm shaking all over. It was so bad that my feet were actually tapping and everybody but the driver was talking at once. We drove until we found a closed gas station and pulled in. He got out, went to the drink machine and down to Coke. He still wouldn't talk. So now my friend is driving us all home and it's about 10 p.m. and we're planning to go back the next day to look around in daylight. We also agreed to only tell our families minus the part about the gunfire, of course. After we drop off my friend in the back, we're headed to my house. My friend in front says to the driver, Hey man, what did you see? Nothing but silence until we get to my house. My friend in the front says, You saw its face, didn't you? He very quietly said, "Um, I sat there for a minute waiting for more, but it was obvious that he wasn't talking, and it was getting late on a school night. I then had to get out and walk up the long path to the dark backside of my house, which sat at the foot of a mountain. When I got inside, my mom noticed that there was something wrong, and her first question was, somebody has been drinking. That was all I needed. So as I finally managed to tell my story, my mom replied, "Uh, it's probably the devil. But my dad, who grew up on a farm only a few miles from this incident, sat silent looking at the TV. It was his older generation on both sides of the family who used the term booger. Growing up on a farm, he knew all too well about booger stories and later said that he used to hear strange screaming sounds in the woods. They always blamed it on panthers, but they're all hunted and killed by the early 1900s. The few other people I shared my story with laughed and ridiculed me, so I shut my mouth. The following day, we all head back, and our driver still doesn't want to talk. We get to the location and cannot find footprints, but do find broken branches and impressions in the ground. Then we got to the tree where his face was hidden. A prominent crooked limb stuck out and bent upward. I could stand flat-footed and reach the limb with my arm almost extended, and that put the creature at about seven foot ten, or possibly more. About two months later, I was in church and saw a girl that lived on that same road, but closer to the main highway. I told her what happened, and a very serious expression came over her face. She informed me that it had run across the road in front of her one night while coming home from a football game. She also said that her uncle saw it coming out of his chicken house about a year prior. I sat there silently thinking, oh God, why have you allowed such things to exist? This happened the night after Halloween. I delivered newspapers at night, and I was delivering newspapers at night, and it was business as usual. I rounded this curve, and I saw a group of kids in the middle of the road. There were about six of them, and they were all wearing gray robes with hoods. They didn't have the hoods on. They were down their backs. I thought that was kind of strange, because Halloween had ended about ten hours before that. One of them saw me and started walking very quickly towards my car, saying something. She got very close to my car, and I could see that she was about 15 years old, and my first thought was, Why was she out there? That's pretty young to be out there at that time of night. It was about 4.30 in the morning. I didn't have time to talk to her, so I drove around her. But then there were the other five kids in the middle of the road... And then they saw me, and they fanned out to surround my car, so I couldn't move, and that scared me. I drove up on the lawn to get around them, but they were coming pretty quickly at my car, and I almost hit one of them. And then I thought, I'm going to call the police because this is quite odd. Then I thought, I better follow them so I could tell the police what they're doing. I saw them turn down this street, and I turned to follow them, and it took about ten seconds to get to this street and they were gone. They had disappeared, and there's no way they could have gone to even the first house. My girlfriend and I were hiking around western Maryland, and I started getting an eerie feeling, and I seen something following or stalking us. But it wasn't as big as what I've heard these dogmen to be. Also, there's a little equipment yard where I sometimes work on vehicles, and behind the yard is a cornfield, and it had been cut down. And in the middle of this field is an island of trees. While I was working one afternoon, I heard what sounded like fifty wolves howling at once. I turned around and seen something crouching down very low to the ground, coming out of the island of trees. Looked a lot like the thing that had been following my girlfriend and I but that was at least 20 miles away. Also, there's an area nearby where my father told me that he and his friends would see this wolfman thing running next to their vehicle in the 1960s and supposedly had killed a lot of livestock in the area. I came across this article of something called the Snarly Yew. It was on the same mountain my father has all these werewolf stories about. I will try to upload the article for you. The area is around Hagerstown, Maryland. On the night I had my brief encounter, it was unusually slow. During slow parts of my night, I park outside the facility I work out of and watch the wildlife. It's abundant with a mixture of fox, coyotes, raccoons, and every once in a while, I'll spy a red wolf breaking the wood line, trotting across an open field in search of small game. Our facility is located on a dead-end street, which backs up to a major creek, and to the left we have a smaller creek that breaks off of the larger one. Both creeks are fed by a large river about a mile away. I should also mention that we have large patches of woodland that lead to our facility and that the area does not have a lot of light until you turn into the parking area. About a week prior to my encounter, I would sit at the end of the road to complete my paperwork and wait for the next call to come. As I parked there, I would get a sense of being watched. I would look up, almost expecting someone to be standing in front of my truck. Let me say that darkness or the woods do not spook me or make me jumpy. I was raised in the swamp, close to a river, and rather enjoy the solitude. Not only did I have a sense of being watched and sharing my space with someone, I noted that there were no normal night sounds such as crickets and frogs. I also found it baffling that all the wildlife seemed to be gone from the area. This really bothered me. I couldn't figure it out. On the night I had my encounter, I decided to leave some wet dog food at the edge of the woodline, hoping to entice a family of raccoons out, so I could at least see that they were okay. This family of raccoons I had watched grow up from kits, and not seeing them bothered me. Also, I didn't see a gray fox that would hang around that area. This fox would come within four to five feet from you, but would be guarded all the while. He would hang out with certain people and then retreat back into the woods. Anyway, I popped the top off of some smelly dog food, and as I was pulling the top off the can, I heard a deep growl come from out of the edge of the woodland. I had never heard an animal growl with such force and so deeply. At first, I thought it could have been a Jake brake from the interstate. That can be heard from our facility, but that's not what it was. I could feel, hear it from the wood line, hitting my face and felt the growl inside of my chest, pretty much like a vibration. I knew this was not a bear, the same as someone knows their left hand from their right. You just know. And yes, we do have bear here, but I can tell you quite bluntly and very firmly, this was not a bear or any other wildlife that was normal to the area. I dropped my head down and refused to look up. I dumped the can of food on the ground with one hard thump, hoping whatever was in the woodland would rather have the can of food instead of me. I backed away with my head down until I reached my truck. My instinct told me to drive away, and so I did. About half an hour later, I returned due to my curiosity overruling my common sense. Being a natural skeptic, I was prepared to figure out the earlier event. I parked in the same place, and this time had walked to the back of my truck to smoke. While standing there, I observed a dark mass come across the road and disappear into an open field that is mostly overgrown with wild blackberry bushes and grass. I have a trained eye. I take in a lot of detail, and still I admit to suffering from short-term memory loss due to a TB that ended my law enforcement career. What I saw at that moment, though, will be in my memory forever. I can only describe this creature as what I took at the time to be some kind of a hybrid. Although it was on all fours, to me, it did not appear natural. It moved with very quick, fluent motions. Looking back, I was most surprised by the creature having the intelligence to attempt to appear natural. Something was off with its gait, though. It was kind of like the front legs were pulling its body forward. The back was hunched at the shoulders, and it had a long back. The creature was black, which I can only describe as a dark mass with no reflection. I also noted it had a small animal in its mouth. The strange part was that I could see that the definition of most of the small animal compared to the darkness of the creature that I now believe to be a dogman. The snout was long, but fit its body. What struck me most were its ears. They were folded back like you might see on a Dutch Shepherd or German Shepherd. I guess with my background, working with dogs, the ears were clearly defined to me. I can't say what kind of tail it had or what color its eyes were. I just know it was there one minute and gone the next. When daylight came, I looked for tracks, but listened to my gut and did not enter the field looking for it. The ground leading out of the smaller creek was covered in grass, and what dirt was there was hard. I was left baffled, but more amazed than anything. I sat on my experience for several months. I didn't tell anyone about it. I then started searching the Internet for what I had seen. I guess in my mind I wondered if it was some type of hybrid created by man and has escaped. I found several sites on the Internet, but none seemed to come close to what I had seen. Nothing until I came across a picture of a dogman. If you take what I saw and stand it upright instead of being on all fours, well, Vic, that's what I saw. With a doubt. I'm pretty sure this dogman was a young adult, but it wasn't overly massive. What I ponder the most is the fact the dogman had to catch my scent before clearing the wood line. I know scent. I know how it works. The dogman knew I was there before coming out of the woods. I suppose that will be the answer I will never have. After a few months of keeping my experience to myself, I spoke with a few of my co-workers. Of course, they told me it was a bear or a large wolf, but they did acknowledge that the wildlife had disappeared for a while. I was told to share my story, but I think it was only so my co-worker could get a good laugh at me behind my back. I stand by what I saw, although I don't speak about it much because of people like him. I did reach out to you a few months ago, and you kindly responded back. For that, I thank you. I've never been fascinated by Bigfoot or other similar creatures, although I did respond to a Bigfoot call off the record for a law enforcement friend. But at this point, I am consumed with what I saw, that morning and learning more about it. I'm grateful that you are around for support. For people like me, thank you for allowing me to share my encounter. As I write this, I am once again on night shift, parked at the same spot where I had my encounter. I'm pretty sure that Dogman has left the area. Wildlife is back, and the night sounds are all around. I guess I will always wonder if it will come back again. But I can't say I will ever walk the woods at night again, looking for animal tracks by myself. In the midst of the unforgiving Arizona desert, a group of us hunters had embarked on a daring expedition. We were seasoned outdoorsmen, adventurers drawn to the challenge of the arid, desolate landscape. It was on the fourth day of our excursion that we stumbled upon the eerie sight. A stark contrast to the relentless sun overhead, the burial Native American ground emerged before us ancient weathered gravestones and markers. Some toppled by time adorned the desolation. We could feel it then, an unseen presence that sent shivers down our spines, a lingering energy that whispered tales of sorrow and vengeance. One fateful evening, tensions within our group began to escalate. As disagreements grew heated, we decided to split into two parties temporarily, each searching for the elusive, Desert game. I found myself accompanying Jake, a fellow hunter whose unwavering courage was matched only by his stubbornness. As the sun dipped below the horizon, our group's laughter and camaraderie faded into the distance. Alone in the eerie twilight, we felt the weight of the desolate landscape closing in on us. The distant howls of coyotes only added to our unease. It was then that I saw it, a shadowy figure in the distance, moving with unnatural grace. It seemed to be watching us, its gaze unwavering and chilling. My heart quickened as I realized what we were facing. It was a skinwalker, a creature of Navajo said to possess the ability to shape, shift, and bring darkness wherever it roamed. The skinwalker, as it moved closer, revealed its grotesque form. It was tall and emaciated. Its limbs elongated and twisted. Its skin was pallid, stretched tautly over its bony frame, and it seemed to wear the tattered remains of animal hides as if to mock the creatures it had once been. Its eyes, pools of malevolence in the dim light, held a sickening hunger that sent shivers down my spine. Without warning, the skinwalker lunged at us, its movements fluid and unnatural. We reacted on instinct, fumbling for our weapons and opening fire. Gunshots shattered the eerie silence of the desert night, but the creature seemed to defy reality, darting between bullets with inhuman speed. Panicked, we turned and ran, our hearts pounding in our chests. The haunting wails of the skinwalker echoed behind us, chilling our souls. We ran faster, the unforgiving terrain becoming an obstacle course in our desperate flight for survival. Eventually, we stumbled upon the rest of our group, gasping for breath and terrified by what we had witnessed. We told them our harrowing encounter of the skinwalker that had stalked us in the desert night, of its grotesque form and relentless pursuit. But skepticism clouded their faces, and nervous laughter filled the air. Some desert legend, one of them scoffed, Dismissing our story as a product of exhaustion and fear. But Jake and I knew the truth. We had come face to face with a creature that defied explanation. Back in the summer of 2020, I was traveling with my partner to boys, Idaho, from Colorado to visit his family and stay for a camping trip. This trek is nearly 15 hours long, and while you can do it in a day, it's better if you stop to rest. Having lived in Utah at one point in time, I was very eager to show him the natural hot springs in Spanish Fork. They are located deep in Diamond Fork Canyon and require a 45-minute hike from the parking lot. Still, we were both excited to get out and moving after seven hours in the car. When we arrived at the first parking lot, however, the gate was shut and locked tight. A sign taped to the metal red closed. Absolutely no access to hot springs. Fans $2,000 max or something to that nature. We were bummed. COVID had shut down many things. And we figured that this was outside, so there's no way it was going to be closed. After some research on the government website, we discovered that a body had possibly been found in the springs and was likely the cause for the locked gate. Sad and tired of sitting in the car, we drove back down the canyon road to find a spot to camp for the night. Most of the more established campsites were closed due to COVID or were already taken for the night. This was fine since we prefer more dispersed camping anyway, so we picked a random road to turn on as we drove closer to exiting the canyon, Road 338. Most of the road was a well-kept dirt road. We passed some promising spots near a creek, and maybe two or three other people already set up for the night. We wanted to go a little further to see if there was anything with that wow factor. Sounds funny, but some sites give off that this is the one. Feeling. Finally, we came to a dead end in the main road with a fire mitigation road to the right. At this very spot, there was a strange boulder with some type of inscription on it, partially surrounded by a wooden fence. I had to investigate. The inscription read, Diamond Battle, June 20, 1866. No way. A memorial for a battle that happened right here. A feeling of uneasiness and oddly respect washed over me. After traveling up the fire road and not finding what we were hoping for in a campsite, we decided to pick a spot by the small creek we passed on the way in. It was getting dark quickly, but We set up our tent in no time at all and got a fire going. The creek was loud but peaceful, though ever since I read that inscription, I couldn't shake this strange feeling. I'm not a paranoid person, but I kept feeling on the edge of my seat, like something was watching us from the woods just across the water. As the night grew darker, this feeling grew stronger. I decided I didn't want to be in the open anymore and retreated to the tent to get some rest. While my partner stayed up to enjoy the fire, I snuggled into our sleeping bag and exhaled comfortably, listening to the creek that was now much quieter and was a bit further from the tent. I started to drift off when I heard it. Soft chanting. Rhythmic drums. My eyes shot open. Was I really hearing that? I strained my ears to listen over the running water. I couldn't quite get a clear sound, but it was definitely there. This is when I noticed the ground was also rumbling, as if horses were stampeding down the road, 100 feet from our sight. I didn't know if I should get out to tell my partner, but I had the strange feeling that if I said it out loud, it would make it more true, and that an army of spirits would spring from the trees and into our campsite. Before I could make the decision, I was dead asleep. This was somehow the most peaceful slumber I have ever had. The next morning, we packed up our tent and left no trace that we had ever spent the night by Little Diamond Creek. When I finally entered cell service, I did a Google search of that memorial and diamond fork good awe. It turns out there was a battle there between the Utes and the Mormon militia, and lives were lost on that mountainside. After reading this, I decided to tell my partner what I heard last night before falling asleep. I told him about the chanting and the drumming, and even the stomping of horses. He looked at me in disbelief and said he heard the exact same thing. I guess I was only in the tent ten minutes before he got spooked, standing alone by the fire, hearing this distant chanting and drums. He came into the tent and experienced that same peaceful sleep I had. I feel as though we were being watched over by those Native Americans that lost their lives there. A strong but calm and protective presence. If you're ever on Diamond Fork Road, I hope you visit and pay respects to the memorial of the Diamond Battle, and maybe the spirits of the land will watch over you too. I've been thinking about this for years, and I'm still baffled. When I was a child, maybe eleven, I lived near the river in Pocoskey County on very private land. One road, no walkthroughs, fenced off. Behind our property was river, and we could walk to it, but anyone trying to access the property would have to boat or swim in, stumble through the woods. Stumble through a large garden. We had in a larger yard with huge floodlights that were motion sensing. In front of the house was more dense woods. In our private road, one way in, one out. More porch lights, and at the
0: need new glasses or want a fresh new style, Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just ninety-five bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block one hundred percent of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
1: The end of that road was a steel gate. So I was maybe 9 or 10 and I wanted to catch fireflies. My mom said... OK gave me a mason jar, and I went to leave and told my mom I was turning off the front porch light to see them better. She said it was okay, but not to go to the tree line. So I was out there for six or seven fireflies worth when I started to see something odd. There was a strange light hanging in between some trees. Did not move. Did not turn. Shake. Rotate. Nothing. I stared at it for a while, fascinated and scared, but trying to puzzle out what it was. It appeared to be a ball and not a beam, and was definitely well-defined. I was starting to get past my fascination, and I was getting scared. Then another appeared further in the trees, maybe five feet further back. They were literally just hanging there in the air, single balls of light, clearly defined. I decided enough was enough, and ran to the house, My parents said I was hysterical enough to warrant a rifle search of the property, and my mom called the police, who came out. No one found anything. No evidence of a fire. Lanterns hung in trees as a joke. Nothing. I already knew it was neither, but I hoped someone would figure it out. I was in deep shit with my dad, who told me I was making up nonsense, and I got the belt and was put on a diet of stacking wood for the winter. My dad was splitting, housework, etc. Anyone have an idea what this might have been? The other night, my sister and I were riding to our friends in our golf cart. She was driving. I was on the passenger seat. As we neared a stretch of woods, I looked over to the woods. In my mind, I assumed it was a deer within 0.1 seconds, yet this was no deer. I literally screamed, out of fear, without realizing. as something on all fours that looked like a human on all fours, but wasn't, ran into the woods. This thing was white and looked like a human running on all fours, but much faster and not human, if that makes sense. Later that night, we were parked by our friends, and I believed something was watching us, as we kept hearing sticks snapping and cracking from the woods, and I felt weirded out. Well, once again, that's not the end. Today in my car, I drove by the woods and right in the exact spot where this creature began to run or crawl into the woods. There was a balloon floating there. WTF, I don't know if that can be a coincidence, I'm not entirely sure what the creature was. I've read people suggesting anywhere from a skinwalker to a crawler. As a child or young teen, I lived a very strange situation in the woods. I'm not sure if this encounter may have been some kind of entity or perhaps something different. I hope someone can give me more information about what happened to me and my friend. I, female, was around 12 years old at the time and one of my best friends. Let's call him Alex. Must have been 10. Alex's father had purchased a large amount of forested land around 100 kilometers away from the city we lived in, Montreal, Canada. It was all forest when Alex's family acquired it. They cleared a little patch to build a house, and the rest was pure, unadulterated forest. Their land was cut in two by a dirt road that, if you followed it for several kilometers, led to a few houses, and their land was very different, depending on which side of the dirt road you looked. On the right side, where their house was, the forest was light and luminous, or at least it felt that way. It was not too dense with little rolling hills, a lovely place to play. On the left side of the road, though it was another story, first there was a deep ditch, perhaps two meters deep, which then became a quite high and steep hill. Weirdly enough, all along the long road, the ditch was full of car parts, a set of car wheels here, a door there, a steering wheel way over there, all old and overgrown with moss. And over the steep hill, the forest gave off a really bad vibe. It had lots of very tall, dark, coniferous trees with almost black trunks, and the place seemed somehow devoid of light or light. Climbing the hill, which we seldom were willing to do because of the creeps it gave us, there was some sort of swamp there. When we were there, there was this strange pressure. We sensed a kind of animal instinct that told us to leave this place. The strange atmosphere was spontaneously obvious to both me and Alex, and we playfully called that side of the road demon's forest. One weekend day, probably in 2001 or 2002, my family and I came to visit Alex's family. Bored by the adults, my friend and I decided to go and play in the forest. Alex's father told us to watch out. There was an animal that had been rummaging in their trash bin and causing other nuisances. He said it was a dog that looked somewhat like a wheeler that surely belonged to someone living up the dirt road. He warned us that we shouldn't interact with a dog if we saw it, as it didn't look healthy, as far as he could tell, or something was weird about it. He said it somehow looked diseased or contagious, or had patches of fur missing. Can't remember exactly. And so we set out on our walk. It was autumn, and the leaves were pretty and golden many having already fallen to the ground. It was a calm, slightly overcast, windless day. The air was very still and calm. Alex and I decided to walk along the dirt road with a pleasant section of forest to our right and Demon's Forest to our left. We chatted while following the road as it was rising up a slope. As usual, we were slightly creeped out going up the road because of the weird vibes of the forest to the left side. But we were challenging ourselves to be brave and trying to not really think about how unsettling it felt. A good distance away from their home, when it was already well out of sight, I noticed the first strange thing of the day. Out of the steep hill on left side of the road, there was a very large and dark pine tree hanging over the road. Somebody had attached a pink ribbon to one of the branches, which was already strange, since this was the territory of Alex's family, and they had no daughters. Or other little girls likely to hang around, or other people who may be owners of pink ribbons who were likely to hang out on this deserted road. The strange thing was, the ribbon was flailing strongly in the wind. Its loose ends were flapping almost horizontally. The thing is... It was a completely windless day. There was no wind to speak of. The ribbon was within my reach, so I even touched it as it was flailing. I even licked my finger and held it in the air to check if I could feel any wind or air current at all, as my dad had taught me. The air was perfectly still, yet the ribbon failed. I mentioned it to my friend. He seemed distracted and was younger than me and sometimes didn't catch on to what I said, so I didn't press the matter. We continued our climb. We reached a place where the hill on the left side of the road had a gentler slope and began further away from the road. In fact, it looked as if the hill was kind of carved out in a way that would have made it easy for us to climb to get into Demon's Forest. It almost seemed as if the hill was carved in a sloping half-circle like in a theater and the road we stood on would have been the stage. It gave us a very clear treeless view of the hillside, full of golden and red fallen leaves. The trees began at the top of the hill, maybe nine meters higher. We stopped to admire the view. Canadian autumns are a sight to behold. Alex suddenly got really excited. He thought he heard something in the demon woods up the hill, and he really wanted me to pay attention. He explained that there are wild cats in that forest. They had spotted them with his dad. One of them had reportedly had kittens, kittens being one of the most exciting things in the world for kids our age, getting us all riled up. But somehow my hackles were up and I could really relax, even thinking about adorable wild kittens. He actually thought he had heard the cat meow in the forest up the hill close by. I heard nothing of the sort and thought he was inventing it. He vehemently suggested that we try meowing at it to see if it would respond. Maybe it would even bring its kittens along, and we could see them and play with them," he said. I hadn't heard any sounds at all and didn't really like his idea of screaming meows into the creepy forest. What kind of wildcat would respond to human children anyway? Wouldn't it be obvious that we are not cats by the sound of us? That seemed like a dumb idea to me. Before I could try to talk him out of it, he loudly meowed into the forest. To my utter shock, the forest meowed back. Alex was delighted. He meowed again. Something in the forest answered again. I was actually shocked. This didn't make sense to me, and it creeped me out, but I suspended my disbelief to see what would happen. He kept doing meowing over and over. For every one of his meows, there was one coming back in response from the woods. Something felt off to me. For all our wild animals didn't behave that way. Even at 12 years old, I realized that. And it wasn't an echo. The cat did not bounce back any sound that we threw at it except meows, which it reciprocated immediately, And anyway, there were no hard, rocky surfaces around off of which sound could bounce off. Everything was covered in a soft layer of sound, dulling leaves. Alex got even more excited. Listen, the cat is coming towards us. She's coming to see us with her kittens. To my surprise, he was right. There was a rustle of dead leaves coming from above us, from above the slope in the creepy forest. It seemed like the rustling was getting closer to us. But it was way off, because cats are small and light and careful with their steps. They don't make a ruckus when they walk through the woods. But here the rustling leaf sound was extremely obvious, along with a meowing. And in fact, it sounded more like steps, like someone with two legs walking in the leaves. And it was getting closer to us. My alarm signals were starting to go off with the wrongness of it all while my younger friend was oblivious. He was calling it more vehemently, noticing that it was coming towards us. Then I realized what seemed so wrong. The sound was coming towards us, but there was nothing to be seen. Right in front of us, we had the gently sloping hill, treeless and clearly visible. Anything coming from the forest should have been plainly exposed to view. There was nothing. No source for the rustling sound. Nothing moving. Oh, her kittens are joining her. Listen, there are more sounds. They're coming to play with us. He was right. The walking sounds seemed to have multiplied and now came from various directions at once, ever getting closer with nothing being visible. Something was way off. I wanted to leave, but Alex was getting mad at me. The kittens were almost here and he wanted to see them, he insisted. At this point, his was extremely tense, and fight-or-flight was activating from the wrongness of it all. We were alone and quite exposed on this theater stage, too. Whatever was getting closer to us, which was more and more obviously with every moment, decidedly not kittens, I was on the verge to force him go run home. And then suddenly I heard a very loud panting sound, right at my feet. During the first millisecond, I got only mildly surprised. We had a huge husky at home. I was used to it panting next to my feet, but then a sense of profound dread damned on me as I realized that, obviously, my dog was not here, and it must be another dog, a very big one by the sound of it, right at my feet. I panickingly looked down, ready to jump away from the dog that somehow got extremely close to me, almost on me, without my noticing, only there is absolutely nothing at my feet. Bet I still hear the loud, breathy panting sound coming from there. I whirl around, all 360 degrees screaming. Where is it coming from? There is nothing at my feet or anywhere around me. There is nothing there, yet the sound is clearly there. As I whirl about in a frenzy, I look up the dirt road we were following. Around 100 meters away of the top of the slope, I see a lone dog standing. It looks somewhat similar to a rock wheeler, but in very, very bad shape. Extremely unkempt, with patches of fur missing, shaggy and dirty as heck, with some skin exposed where the fur is missing. It looks down at us, too. Obviously, there's no way that I could hear it panting at that distance, and the source of the sound is at my feet. At that point, the flight instinct wins inside me. I have never run as desperately and as fast in my whole life. Thank goodness it was all downhill. Alex kept pace right beside me, terrified. We made it home in one piece. We didn't walk in these woods anymore. I came back to Alex's place several times in my life. I never wanted to walk in the woods again. We had amazing parties at his house as teens. I was often there rather drunk and having a great time. But I always had this very stressful sensation when I went out of his house, especially at night. When I slept over there, I had these extremely strange experiences where, when I woke up, I sensed as if something was there and was observing me. In my mid-awake state, I even saw something floating near the ceiling. It had the sensation that it was not an immediate threat, though it was observing I'm not sure that whatever this is was related to what happened on the dirt road. We never discussed what happened that day. As I researched it now, I see that this land is historically Algonquin land, though one source seemed to say Mohawk. If anybody can help clarify what happened, I would be thankful On the night of August 21, 2015, in Kings Mountain, North Carolina, I was sitting on the front porch waiting for my dogs to do their thing, when all of a sudden all five dogs started barking like crazy. I've never heard them bark like that before. It's like they were ready to tear something apart. I tried to see what they were after, but it was really dark that evening. Then all of a sudden this red eye appeared, looking at the dogs and me. It was across the road, heading west. I mean, the eye was so clear that I could see much of its detail. I ran into the house to grab a flashlight, but by the time I got back out, it was gone. The dogs were still on the west side of the fence, barking with the same force. So I walked to the edge of the porch, but I couldn't see a thing, even with a nightlight at the corner of the house. Then the red eye appeared again, looking at me and the dogs heading south through the small woods between me and my neighbor's house. It stood there for about 30 seconds and when I started to raise my light the eye disappeared. To me it looked like a lizard's eye. It didn't seem that it wanted to harm us so I didn't chase it. I've been hearing reports about Bigfoot being dropped off or taken up into spacecraft. Do you suppose that's what the alien was looking for? I have seen Bigfoot in the woods behind our house. There have been others that have seen it also. My feelings about all of this It all started in 1970 when I was sitting in a lawn chair, looking up at the stars and seeing a little bright light go from one star to another. You would not believe what I've witnessed through the years. People would say I was nuts and crazy. I don't care. I know what I've seen and heard. I live in Sykesville, Maryland and work in Frederick, Maryland. I travel Route 26 quite regularly. I never seen anything like what I saw on 1st December 2015. On my ride to work, I saw a bright light in the sky. At first, I thought it was just a plane, but as I continued to drive toward Frederick, I knew it was not a plane or anything I knew it to be. I passed South Carroll High School. I stopped at the red light and looked slightly left or southwest to see if I could figure out what I was looking at. As I started to drive, I noticed this bright light was in the shape of a teardrop with a bright light that didn't really go with the sky canvas that morning, which is why it really stood out. It got really bright then back to its regular brightness, what I first noticed. I also noticed below it were smaller lights that obviously were not attached to the light. They were very separate, but clearly with the bright light. As I got closer to Frederick, maybe just about to Taylorsville, I noticed two helicopters on either side of the light. They were black, very synchronized. The helicopters would go towards the light, and then the light got brighter, and then when they backed off a bit, the light went back to its regular brightness. The two lights below were not as big as the bright light. I'd say they were as big as the helicopters. This went on for at least 30 minutes until I got right outside of Liberty Town, then they were gone, disappeared. This happened at the same time, the following three days. The only difference, the helicopters didn't show up on second and third day. There were other people as well who had pulled over to see what was happening. I live in a very rural farming area of Kansas. This happened in the fall of 2007. I went for a night drive with a friend on some country roads amid cornfields. Where I live, corn stalks grow tall on both sides of the road in many places. It is a very desolate and dark area at night. There is no one around for miles. And you can see the Milky Way in all its glory because there are no lights. As I was driving, we saw something resembling the cartoon character Gumby run across the dirt road, led up by our headlights. It crossed probably ten feet in front of us. The creature was dark maroon in color and with bulbous hands and feet. No digits. It walked on two legs. It had very smooth-looking skin, almost like a shark or dolphin. It didn't stop to look at us, and I never felt threatened. The creature ran like it was afraid, from one cornfield across the road to another. We didn't witness any more strange sightings that night or have any weird experiences after. Have you ever seen a maroon creature like I did? To prove I'm a believer, I will share something I have never shared since I'm too scared to summer of 1985, I and my family were camping at Mustang Island near Corpus Christi, Texas. It was 3 a.m., and I couldn't sleep, so I went for a walk on the beach. There on the jetty, I saw a pulsating light, almost like on the edge of the gulf. At first, I thought nothing of it, yet I felt myself start to walk towards it. As I reached the halfway mark, I heard two voices start to communicate telepathically. Do not be afraid, you will not be harmed. Join us. Come with us. I turned around and went back. The next day I walked out as far on the jetty looking for any traces. There was nothing that could have emanated a light that bright. A year later I'm at home in bed. Once again it's 3 a.m. Only this time they attacked me. I heard loud inhuman voices shrieking. I tried to scream. They held me down, scratching and clawing at me terrorizing me. I could see the lights casting shadows through my pillow. I broke free in terror. I still have welts on my body from the attack. Now I have a question. Do you find it hard to live with what you know? My father, who was working as a construction contractor, Had a work crew leave a job site in a panic frenzy once, because they saw a Bigfoot-like creature in the creek behind the house they were working on. Happened at a house they were building a two-story garage at in the hill country a little bit north of Spring Branch, Texas. I think it was around 1998. I was around nine years old. My brother was six. The house that they were working on was on a piece of land way out between Blanco and Spring Branch. My father told us that the work crew called him from a payphone at a gas station in Bulvardy around noon and told him they weren't going back to the job site until the following day because they were scared shitless and if it would be okay for them to bring some rifles and shotguns to keep in. their trucks on that project until they were done. They were a no-nonsense group of Mexican and Honduran laborers, hard-working guys who would be at the job site from 8 a.m. until sundown, busting their asses in the hot sun to earn a decent paycheck. Apparently around lunchtime, after the crew had eaten and were resting in their trucks and in the shade of some of the trees, one of the guys went down to the creek behind the house to take a piss and explore the property a bit until it was time for them to get back to work. Behind the house was a sloped wooded area that led down to a nice little shallow creek. It was here where he said he saw what he thought was a big brown bear peeking around a tree at him. Naturally, he got a bit spooked and started slowly backpedaling to the house up the hill, trying his best not to make any sudden movements and to not take his eyes off of this bear. As he was making his way back up the steep hill to the house job site to where the rest of the guys were, the bear ran from behind the tree and darted across the creek and into the woods on the other side. That was when the worker got a clear look at it and saw that it wasn't a bear. It ran upright on two legs and had the build of a large man covered in dark fur. When he saw it run and realized it wasn't a bear. That's when he broke into a frenzied run to the rest of the guys, screaming at them to get into the trucks and for them to leave. They were a little thrown off by him, but he jumped into his truck and peeled off, and the rest of them saw how scared he was and quickly followed him in their other two trucks. Before doing so, however, I should explain that among the natives of Canada both Indians and Eskimos, there is a shortage of marriageable girls. Probably a similar condition exists among the Sasquatch, thus explaining the action of the wild giant in this case. I should also like to add that, although her present-day photograph hardly bears this out, the evidence of her contemporaries goes to show that in her girlhood, Seraphine Long was considered one of the most comely girls in her tribe. Here is the story. I was walking toward home one day many years ago, carrying a big bundle of cedar roots and thinking of the young, brave Qualic Thunderbolt I was soon to marry. Suddenly, at a place where the bush grew close and thick beside the trail, a long arm shot out and a big hairy hand was pressed over my mouth. Then I was suddenly lifted up into the arms of a young Sasquatch. I was terrified, fought, and struggled with all my might. In those days, I was strong, but it was no good. The wild man was as powerful as a young bear, holding me easily under one arm. With his other hand, he smeared tree gum over my eyes, sticking them shut so that I could not see where he was taking me. He then lifted me to his shoulder and started to run. He ran on and on for a long, long time, up and down hills through thick brush across many streams, never stopping to rest. Once he had to swim a river, and then perhaps I could have gotten away, but I was so afraid of being drowned that I held on tightly with my arms about his neck. Although I was frightened, I could not but admire his easy breathing, his great strength, and speed of foot. After reaching the other side of the river, he began to climb and climb. Presently, the air became very cold, I could not see, but I guessed that we were close to the top of a mountain. At last, the Sasquatch stopped hurrying. Then he stooped over and moved slowly, as if feeling his way along a tunnel. Presently, he laid me down very gently, and I heard people talking in a strange tongue I could not understand. The young giant next wiped the sticky tree gum from my eyelids, and I was able to look around me. I sat up and saw that I was in a great big cave, The floor was covered with animal skins, soft to touch and better preserved that we preserved them. The small fire in the middle of the floor gave all the light there was. As my eyes became accustomed to the gloom, I saw that beside the young giant who had brought me to the cave, there were two other wild people, a man and a woman. To me, a young girl. They seemed very, very old. But they were active and friendly, and later I learned that they were the parents of the young Sasquatch who had stolen me. When they all came over to look at me, I cried and asked them to let me go. They just smiled and shook their heads. From then on, I was kept a close prisoner. Not once would they let me go out of the cave. Always one of them stayed with me when the other two were away. They fed me well on roots, fish, and meat. After i had learned a few words of their tongue, which is not unlike the Douglas dialect, I asked the young guy in it how he caught and killed the deer, mountain goats, and sheep that he often brought into the cave. He smiled, opening and closing his big hairy hands. I guessed that he just laid in wait, and when an animal got close enough, he leaped, caught it, and choked it to death. He was certainly big enough, quick enough, and strong enough to do so. When I had been in the cave for about a year, I began to feel very sick and weak and could not eat much. I told this to the young Sasquatch and pleaded with him to take me back to my own people. At first, he got very angry, as did his father and mother, but I kept on pleading with him, telling them that I wished to see my own people again before I died. I really was ill and I suppose they could see that for themselves, because one day after I cried for a long time, the young Sasquatch went outside and returned with leaf full of tree gum. With this, he stuck down my eyelids as he had done before. Then he again lifted me to his big shoulder. The return journey was like a very bad dream, for I was lightheaded and in much pain. When we recrossed the wide river, I was almost swept away. I was too weak to cling to the young Sasquatch, "'But he held me with one big hand and swam with the other. "'Close to my home, he put me down and gently removed the tree gum from my eyelids. "'When he saw that I could see again, he shook his head sadly, "'pointed to my house, and then turned back into the forest. "'My people were all wildly excited "'when I stumbled back into the house, "'for they had long ago given me up as dead. "'But I was too sick and weak to talk. "'I just managed to crawl into bed, "'and that night I gave birth to a child.' The little one lived only a few hours, for which I have always been thankful. I hope that never again shall I see a Sasquatch. That is Seraphine Long's story, the only one on record of a Sasquatch ever abducting an Indian girl. I could relate more instances concerning the wild giants of British Columbia, seemingly well-attested cases that I have collected over a period of many years. But in this article, the few I have recounted must suffice. In December 2005, the witness was on his way home, near Norway, Iowa, late one night after work. He almost always walked the train tracks because they were a straight shot towards the house. These train tracks ran past an old settler cemetery that was alleged to be haunted. It's already dark and has been so for a few hours. There was no moon that night. As he walks near the cemetery, he starts hearing muffled footsteps behind him, but doesn't think much of it. Plenty of other guys walk home this way as well. So he keeps going, and the footsteps get louder and louder. About midway past the cemetery, he gets nervous, and the steps are getting closer, so he turns to look behind him. According to the witness, he saw a goatman, or the devil himself. He describes this thing as a man who basically had goat hooves and horns along the lines of the mythical pan. And this thing was heading straight for him. Reportedly, all the snow around this creature was instantly melting as it walked through. The witness runs screaming like a banshee. He hears the clopping of the beast's footsteps behind him, speeding up to catch him as he's running. Finally, he gets past the graveyard and sees the thing stop right at the edge of the cemetery. He continues running, stops to look back, and the beast just vanishes. One of his older co-workers confided with the witness that there was a tale about a goatman many years ago. It was supposedly a Polish immigrant who disappeared one night but returned as the creature several years later. There had been UFO and strange being reports around the same time the man had vanished. My parents have told this story to me numerous times throughout my life, and both of them and my older brother corroborate the story in exact detail. They seem genuinely terrified of what happened, and they have told very few people about this experience. In the summer of 1990, my mom, 31, dad 35, and brother 15, attended an Aerosmith concert in Ohio. After the concert, the three of them were walking to the parking lot in a huge crowd of people. My parents were standing on one side of the street about to step off the curb when they saw two hooded figures across the street. By the time their foot hit the pavement, the figures were directly in front of them. They seemed to float without feet and move from one side of the street to the other in an instant. The next thing they know, they are standing alone, not in the exact same place that they were, with their arms outstretched from the elbow, palms facing up, and their hands and forearms are tingling. They made their way back to the car, and no one else was around. The parking lot was empty except for their car. My brother was sitting on the bumper waiting for them, and said he had been waiting for them for about two hours. My parents have no recollection of what happened during that two-hour period. My brother says that he was walking, and he turned around, and they were gone, and he just went back to the car and waited. Two weeks after this incident, my mom finds out that she is pregnant with me. They believe this may be the reason they were approached. I personally have never experienced anything unexplainable like this, but I do believe their story. I have never known them to make things up, and they are not psychotic. They believe this encounter was some kind of extraterrestrial being. I believe their experience was genuine, but I'm not certain that aliens are the explanation, but I'm also not ruling it out. This happened in a post-concert crowd with hundreds of people around. Has anyone had a similar experience or any, any insight on what could have happened to them?